never say die. Forty going on fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen, episode two hundred and twenty-four. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and after watching both the Blade Runner movies, I'm not sure whether or not I'm a replicant. You gotta look under your eye. We better start asking him questions. Why did you put the turtle on its back, Josh? Why are you a turtle, Josh? Tur- I like turtles. <laughs> Cells. Cells. I like turtles. Uh, yeah, so we uh, decided that we had a spare six and a half hours in our life, so we decided to watch <laughs> Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049 and uh, compare the two, see how that story goes. So that is. Yeah, I think we all specifically watched the final cut for uh, Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the gist of it. We've got um, there are uh, we'll go into a little bit more, but there's actually seven different versions of the original Blade Runner out there. One of I'm going to say right now, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top ten. One for every day of the week. Yep. If you like days of the week, Ooh. you could find a different podcast for every day of the week at the Podcast Collective, including on the block. Joel's own The Coffin Joe cast. I Am Salt Lake, The Dog and Deuce Show, The Portland Beer Club Podcast, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. Rad Dad! <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy with the drum line there at the end. <laughs> nice. And if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and other podcasting directories. Also find our show on 12 noon on Saturdays on Geek Life Radio. And if you're looking to talk to us, that's 708 now wrap 708-669-9727. And speaking of talking to us, we yeah, have, people have been doing that. We have talking. So uh, here After we have months one. Months of nothing, we have two voicemails. Right. Uh, a one Jessen from Facebook sent us, from, sent us a message. So here we go. Yo guys, it's your boy, Something Fruity, strongest whiskers in the game, here to fuck your pets, long dick style. I'm calling in because I wanted to share some fantastic news. Joel, your boy who has been listening to that sexy voice of yours for 10 years now, is gonna be a dad. Yeah, I'm super hyped and I can't wait to see Fruity Jr., but that gave me an idea. I'd like to ask you guys for some wisdom. Do you all have some parenting tips? Um, maybe do a parenting show. Talk about how you grew up, if you guys got spanked, who helped with homework, etc. And how things are today, being a parent yourselves. If you guys do the same thing as your own parents, if you guys find your own path. Well, I won't waste any more of your time. Papa Fruity, out. Okay. Now, I am way too high for that voicemail. <laughs> Just a little back story, which I think I've mentioned this before. First, they- t- first tip, don't screw your pets. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what, what if it's done long dick style? Well, that's cool then. That's David Jessen, aka something fruity. He's from Denmark. From, I like him. I awesome. Thank you. I want. I want to get high with him. Uh, Apparently, his pets are pregnant. <laughs> he, that's he what they get for hanging around being all sexy. Like, congratulations. I hope it's a guinea pig. Um, <laughs> what did you I, say, Joel? I said he wrote a theme song for me once. Oh, yeah, talented guy. He wants you parenting. Have it on hand? I I have it on my hard drive, yes. He wants parenting advice from us. Yeah, I don't know that. Well, I, well wait, ju- wait, wait, let's j- jump back. First off, congratulations. 
Yes, definitely. Yes. yes. Welcome to what will be probably the weirdest 18 years of your life. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. I won't lie. Having having children is literally like living with drunken midgets. It's been said before, and it's yeah. true. But um, being an uncle is great, though. Oh yeah, I agree with you there. I you know t- I I told uh that's that's the thing. Watch out if you have brothers sisters, they will screw with your kids. I have uh, told my niece that um the shower drains are where the clowns come from. <laughs> so anytime she she's like four or five years old, every time she walks by a shower drain, she goes, "There's clowns in there." But the thing is, her older brother is freaked out by clowns, so she has all the more reason to say that. I once gave my niece for uh, Christmas a microphone with a uh, with a little mini amplifier, <laughs> and she, and she learned how to like that if she put it on certain parts of her face, it would give feedback. So she would just and she was probably like four years old at this point, so she would just walk around the house holding this microphone up to her face going, and my sister was ready to kill me. So I was like, yeah, being an uncle is great. Yeah. Uh, But no, I mean, you're going to get pooped on, puked on. All sorts of bodily fluids are going to fall on your body, unless you're into some things, in which case, hey, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) And what Mike's saying is the reason why, if we did do a parenting show for the second half, my only contribution would be, no. <laughs> so uh we also have a voicemail from it's listed as Blade Runner Tiki. I that's because I, I know that it has something to do with Tiki, but I didn't actually screen this one. I didn't listen to it. Oh, fantastic. I thought maybe you didn't screen the last one. <laughs> we didn't screen the last one. We don't we don't do that. <laughs> that's true. We're too busy that's for screening. That's, that's far too professional. Exactly. Uh so let's see what this one's about. Okay, I can't. It's not the Jungle Room, it's the Tiki Room. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. It doesn't go in the Jungle, 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 Jungle Room. It goes in the Tiki, 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 Tiki Room. Come on. Seriously. And I hope, in the spirit of The Rock being in movies, they're making, apparently, The Rock is going to be in the Jungle Cruise. I hope they make a Tiki Room movie, a whole Tiki Room franchise featuring Mr. The Rock Johnson. (sighs) Properly named Butts to the Front. I think that was Luke from Chicago. Say, who just yelled at us? <laughs> yes, that was Luke. I was going to say that that uh, we haven't heard from him in a while, but I uh, uh, recall the voice. Well, thank you, Luke. Did you hear from him? I thought Charlie had gotten him. Wait, what did we? Who said what about a tiki room? Was it me? More I don't more. know. I, I think you and I were talking about uh, the tiki room, and uh, we misnamed it the jungle room because that was all I could. Oh. oh, you know what? I think at one point it was okay. You have the Jungle Cruise, the Tiki Room, right? Yeah, that was the mix-up. Well, Luke, if you want to hang out at Lost Lake or Three Dots and a Dash or Halakahiki, give me a call. If you're in Chicago, which I assume you are. Uh, yeah, I think he's still in the Chicago area. Cool. And if you're going out drinking with him, he should drive. He's got a very nice car. And Hawaiian shirts. And he's also an excellent drunk driver. And hats. Are you talking about me or him? Yes. <laughs> I was talking about Luke. I got Luke. Uh, I've been in Luke's car. Oh, nice. And I'm a better drunk driver than you, Mike. <laughs> but Mike has more Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> Are we, is that how we're measuring it now? Yes. And Mike wins 
Mike Weens. I don't, I don't know where to take that. Um, <laughs> I'm drunk driving wearing a Hawaiian shirt right now. Oh, that's the ultimate win. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 about that time. I think so. This week in music, movies, and TV. I'm stuck. You're much better than last week. Right. Last week I had to find an old Joel that it uh, sports and put that one in. And sports. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, June twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two, the release of the original Blade Runner film. Ah, <sighs> music. The top songs in the land are Rosanna by Toto. Thank you for putting that into my head. Don't yes. you want me by the Human League and Ebony and Ivory by the amazing combo of Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Joel, all I do in the morning when I wake up is see your eyes. <laughs> I unabashedly love every one of those songs. Have you seen the music video for Don't You Want Me? Yes. It's really strange. I mean, even for 80s, it's really strange. It's the Ebony and Ivory, of course, as we all know, sucks. <laughs> we know you think that, yes. Andy Knowles, drummer and keyboardist for Franz Ferdinand, was born on June 30th, not in October. That's when they took him out. Ah, reference. Historical joke. We don't do history on this show. We're doomed to repeat it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Joel Joel says we don't go into history on this show and immediately launches into Tchaikovsky. (laughs) (laughs) Andrzej Tchaikovsky was a Polish composer and pianist responsible for the opera and the acronym of the week, TMOV. Of course, that's Tarantula, Master of Vagina. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Spanish film, I think. It's about Lucha Libre. Lucha Labia. Holy shit. (laughs) Labia, pardon me. Hmm. I think Joel's seen that movie. Lucha Labia? Yes. No, the Tarantula, Master of Vagina. That sounds something like something you Twice. Right after Sharknado. Charles Charles Brunchen. (laughs) Sure. That was almost a tongue twister. (laughs) T-M-O-V. That is the Merchant of Venice. Sorry, you were incorrect. Oh. Uh, You're batting a thousand. Yeah, so that's O for 50 right there. (laughs) Um, The Merchant of Venice, based on the Shakespeare play. Stop changing things. (laughs) Sorry about that. Well, at least they're both Shakespeare plays. The Shakespeare play of the same name. Tchaikovsky died of colon cancer at the age of 46 and was absorbed in Oxford. In his will, he left his body to medical research and donated his skull to the Royal Shakespeare Company, asking that it be used on stage, hopefully for the skull of Yorick in productions of Hamlet. For many years, no one felt comfortable using it in performances until 2008, when the skull was finally held by David Tennant, the 10th Doctor, in a series of performances of Hamlet at the Courtyard Theater in Stratford-upon-Avon. Hmm. That is an awesome story. Yeah, that's why it's included. This like, is a very uh, this, this is a very Joel centric tweet. Yeah. Ooh. So lots of October things. How many things? He like moving on to movies. The top movie in the land was E.T. Ta-da! That's all I have to say about that. Ouch. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan, actress from Mean Girls, Cloverfield, and Party Down, among others, was born on June thirtieth. We just talked about her last week. Yeah. Very topical. Wow. 
Former movie star and President Ronald Reagan was shot in an assassination attempt by John Hinckley in 1981. On June 21st of this week, Hinckley was declared not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah. yeah. Jodie Foster had other things to say about that. <laughs> well, I think she pretty much agreed he was loony. I did it for you. <laughs> Please don't. There's a chickpea. Tay Tay in the wind. <laughs> On June 25th, adult movie megastar John Holmes is acquitted of murder charges in the horrific Wonderland murders. Which uh, was made into a film called Wonderland starring Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Indeed. Yep. Yeah, the, I still haven't cops, seen the, it. The cops on the scene in, in the Wonderland murders said it was the most horrific scene they've ever Like worse than the Sharon Tate murders, Manson murders. Ugh. Yeah. Huh. Blasted penis. Okay, so after that, leading into TV, <laughs> the top shows in the land are 60 Minutes, Dallas, MASH, and Magnum P.I. It's an odd combination, but very 80s. Yeah, it is. Very virile. Lots of mustaches. <laughs> lots of body hair in that. Yeah. 50% of it is just from Magnum P.I. And the and other the 50% other... is Patrick Duffy's eyebrows. <laughs> Damn it, I was going to say the other 50% was Andy Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Farr. Uh, I know Any you, one of those works. You can get official Magnum PI uh, Hawaiian shirts. I'm sure you have. Bring it back around. I you got to drive drunk to go get them. But. Yeah, not the problem. <laughs> uh, prolific stage and screen actor Alan Webb died on June 22nd after a long and illustrious career. In 1963, he was offered the role of the first doctor in the BBC's new science fiction series, Doctor Who. But he declined. He was also cast as the Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars Return of the Jedi, but then declined because he was ill. So he was prolific for just not getting really huge. It was it was shows. prolifically on the cusp of being famous before he was absorbed. What, what what was he actually in? All kinds of stuff. If you look at his IMDb IMDb page, he's one of those guys. This one says he he's, was a track he's and a, field hey, athlete. Hey, it's that guy. He's one of those. Oh, one of those guys. Okay. Uh, Lily Rabe, born June 29th, is an American actress best known for her multiple roles in the FX anthology series American Horror Story and her lead role as Claire Benningen in The Whispers. And she's attractive. Lily Rabe. Yow. That's all I have to say about that. I was going to thank. Thank you, Short Round. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't talk about that, Dr. Jones. Okay, I know who Lily Rabe is. Oh, yeah. She's crazy pants. Yes, she is. Uh, also born on June 29th, the co-host of SNL's Weekend Update, Colin Jost. Jost. Just kidding. I think it's Jost, but I'm not 100%. Colin Jost. <laughs> <laughs> I got and a, moving on. I got a Colin Jost. Explains why you walk that way. Moving on to sports. On June 20th, Mr. Hustle, Pete Rose became the fifth player to play 3,000 games in the MLB on his way to a record 3,562 total. If you're interested in the other four, um, but I doubt you are. So, so not. Well, yeah. <laughs> wait a second. I'm confused. How many of those did he win money on? Yeah. Hard pass. Yes. Is, I mean... All right. Moving on then. <laughs> Born on June 25th, Mikhail... Mi- Mikhail... Uh, Mikhail... <laughs> 
What? Why do you Mikhail, do that to yourself? Mikhailovich. Mikhailovich. Mikhail Mikhailovich Yuzni. Woof. Mikhail Mikhailovich Yuzni. Yuzni. Yuzni, yeah. Yuzni, yeah. Man, nicknamed Misha and Colonel by his fans. I wonder is why. A Russian profession. What? I said, I wonder why. Because <laughs> they didn't want to say that fucking name. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> is a Russian professional tennis player who is ranked number one in Russia. He achieved a top 10 ranking by the Association of Tennis Professionals for the first time on the on August 13th of 2007 and reached a career peak of World 8 in January of 2008 and once again in October of 2010. I thought you'd have fun with that name. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. You're welcome. And lastly, on June 30th, the New Jersey the new New Jersey NHL franchise was officially named the Devils by fan balloting. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm looking at this this the other people who play 3000 games and Yaz is on there. Uh-huh. Not the band. Oh. oh I was like the band played in, baseball. In that case <laughs> I'm totally Carl, disinterested right now. <laughs> Carl Yastrzemski. So ah, nickname uh-huh. Yaz. It's a good thing that the New Jersey NHL franchise was not balloted in the era of the internet otherwise it would be the New Jersey Hockey McHockey face. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Hockey McPuckerson. Ooh, I like that. Skatey McSkate face. <laughs> <laughs> Take us out, keyboard Joel. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> All right, so this week we finally decided to get our Blade Runner on. Sounds like it hurts. Um, yeah, get our watch Blade Runner, uh, 1982's uh, Ridley Scott classic, and uh, the most recent. 2016? 16? 17? 2017, yeah. Yeah, 2017, Blade Runner uh, 2049. So, for anybody here, was this the first viewing of the original Blade Runner? No. Absolutely not. Patrick? Was that? <laughs> Sorry, I was in my own little world there for a second. I was, I was, what? <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, was this the, was this the, uh, Doing a podcast here. <laughs> Are we recording? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? Uh, is this the first time you've seen the original Blade Runner? Uh, it's the first time I've seen this version. I, I saw the original in the theater, and then I saw it once more, uh, like, but about 15 years ago or so, so it's been a while. Okay, okay. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So, well, well, first, we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, Blade Runner, 1982 American noir Neo-noir. 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 Science fiction film. Kind of based off of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? By Philip K. Dick, as the large majority of really good sci-fi movies are based off some sort of Philip K. Dick book. Uh, mainly because he wrote like a million of them. <clears throat> but uh, the set in uh, Los Angeles in 2019. So we all know what we're looking for by next year. And it's a future with synthetic humans known as replicants that are engineered by the Tyrell Corporation to work on off-world colonies and do the jobs that we don't want to do. A fugitive group of replicants, the Nexus 6, led by Roy Beatty, uh, Rutger Hauer, escaped back to Earth, and a burnt-out cop, Rick Deckard, played by a young Harrison Ford, agrees to hunt them down. During his investigations, he meets Rachel, Sean Young, who is an advanced replicant who causes him to question his work, his identity, and everything he knows about his life. 
Yeah, I'm glad that this is not a completely fresh viewing for any of us, because I am of the opinion that if you have seen Blade Runner once, you have seen it zero times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Last time I saw it was on the big screen at school when I was in film school. Uh, the last time I saw it, it was November. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, this is, this is on my standard rotation for movies. Um, it's been a couple of years for me. Yeah. It's, I've said this before. This is probably in my, it is in my top 10, uh, favorite movies of all time. And it's definitely on the, uh, deserted Island list. And it's, when you were, uh, I, I say, it's been 15 years since I've seen it, like from start to finish. But you know, I, I've, I've watched here and there, uh, like you know, going, going, you know, uh, channel surfing or whatever, and stop and watch it for a half hour here and there. But yeah, so currently it sits at a 90% critics and 91 audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Seems about right. Yep. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, known for such other joints such as Alien. And aliens. Well, no, he didn't do aliens. He didn't do aliens. Uh, James Cameron did. James Cameron. Okay, sorry. Uh, the Martian. He produced that. Gladiator. Blade Runner. As we said. Um, Ridley Scott just did. He, did, did he, he did Prometheus, though, right? Yeah. Yes. And the Alien Covenant. Yeah, in Alien Covenant. Um, but he's he's been all over the place. He's a executive producer for The Man in the High Castle, which again, based off a Philip K. Dick book. I've seen the first couple episodes. I liked it. Yeah, it's supposed to be good stuff. I have not had a chance to watch it yet, but um, it definitely is on my list. Uh, um, he's all over the place. TV, movies, documentaries. You were saying, Joel? One of the things you said earlier that I meant to come back to, but I didn't want to step on anybody, but I did anyway, was you referred to it as a classic. And I would probably go so far as to say genre-defining in a lot of ways. It was definitely the first... Uh, dystopian type movie to gain major traction in, in the box office mm-hmm. it 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 did for a lot of different reasons for sure and i think joel's right i think that uh every dark future film or piece of art since blade runner owes something to blade runner mm-hmm. i mean think about the matrix you know one of the one, another one of the great sci-fi movies you know just the first i mean well the first one and um you know the whole dystopian future type thing really drew off of this well it presented the world as as the future not as as a bright happy place Mm -hmm. and a lot of the imagery that ridley scott got from this was from such things as uh metropolis the old silent movie Type thing where his the they have the one gigantic building for all the rich people set in the center of all this, all the uh, the poor ones living underneath the rich. It, interestingly enough, um, this is one of the first movies I, I I'd noticed that had like you know interstellar space travel, but didn't have any aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that you combine William Gibson's Neuromancer books and this, and you've got the solid fi- foundation for everything cyberpunk. Yeah. From oh. Shadowrun to whatever. Yeah. Gibson yeah. was the guy I was trying to think of earlier. Yeah, when William Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. No. I read a book. Yeah, anyway, never mind. I'm not going to get distracted. No, no. You, you read a book. Still, no, should... I was going to talk about um, – I read a shit ton of books. I was going to talk about Gibson, and that has nothing to do with what we're doing. 
Okay. Well, and I think it's also got some Giger overtones too, even though there's no aliens in it. Just probably from his influence with Alien when he worked with Ridley Scott. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. right. Um, right. So this is written. The screenplay is written by Hampton Fancher. Uh, known oh, Hampton. Hampton. What a fancy name. It is. Hampton. I know. Hampton. He's known for Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, The Mighty Quinn. Okay. If you yeah. remember that one. The Denzel Washington. It's not a bad movie. No, it really isn't bad. It's good Never stuff. I uh, did a lot of stuff for, uh, did stuff for the uh, Fugitive TV series. Um, Gunsmoke, Rawhide, writer for Adam 12. He's, he's Again, all over the place on there. And also David Webb Peoples, who was a writer on Unforgiven and Twelve Monkeys. And nice. Soldier. Starring that was a fun action Kurt Russell. Movie. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so yeah. So he is also currently, which sounds kind of interesting, he's doing a show, a movie coming up called Mandrake the, Man- Mandrake the Magician. As in the DC comic? I think so, it? yeah. Hmm. So and uh, Philip K. Dick, born he's a born Chicagoan, born in nineteen twenty eight, died March second, nineteen eighty two, before this was released. Uh, you may know him for such things as we said before: uh, Total Recall, Scanner Darkly, Minority Report, Blade Runner, The Man in the High Castle. Um, what are some other ones? Adjustment Bureau. I don't know. Have you seen that one with the guys with the hats? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Paycheck, uh, Screamers, he's, his, again, toss him into the mix with science fiction uh, influence, and you almost have the, the Holy Trinity right there. Sure, he's also got a higher percentage of hits when it comes to novels being adapted into good movies. Mm-hmm. Like, you could say Asimov was uh, probably a bigger, influential sci-fi writer, but a lot of the films based on Asimov's work have been shit. Yeah. I, Robot, not great. Yeah. Okay. So, it was all right. It was, yeah. it was fun, but it wasn't great. Yeah. And yeah. Mandrake the Magician, I just looked it up. The uh, I think they're actually doing, yeah, the character you know was originally in... Uh, DC King Com- Comics, yeah. but then, yeah, became part of the Defenders of the Earth and stuff. Anyway, it looks like Sasha Baron Cohen is slated to play him. That's interesting. Is that a good a, casting or a bad casting? I don't know. He's <laughs> capable of a lot of things, so I think uh, I think he is a good fit, actually. Is he gay? We'll see if he's capable of making a DC movie good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. All right, so this is starring a very young Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard. Rutger Hauer as Roy Beatty. Sean Young as Rachel. Edward James Olmos. With an amazing ability on makeup right there as Gaff. Oh yeah, Gaff is such a badass. And Gaff is the... I parallel him to uh, Boba Fett. For sure. He doesn't have a lot of lines. He commands your attention for his tiny bit of screen time. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he walks with a cane, but he, he takes shit from nobody, leaves these little origami uh, animals whenever he, after he sits, you know, whenever he's around. Um, and he's got a killer mustache, too. Well, and his uh, speaking his pattern, weird speech pattern, is uh, replicated in Shadowrun, a city speak. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, and he finishes off the movie fantastically. Uh, 
M. Emmett Walsh as Bryant. Daryl Hannah as Pris. William Sanderson as J.F. Sebastian. Uh, if you don't know who that is, uh, that's Daryl <laughs> and his other brother, Daryl. One of those guys. Brian James. Also is Lo- from Deadwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian James from uh, Leon Ko- Kowalski. Uh, yeah, you- he's one of those, hey, it's that guy. Yeah. Uh, fifth, yeah. Fifth Element, Tango and Cash. Well, Fifth Element, he was the uh, the general. Yep. And it, you again, you don't know him if I say his name, but if you saw his face, you'd be like, just like we said before, hey, that guy. Yeah, Brian James. Uh, Joe Turkle as Dr. Tyrell. Joanna Cassidy as Zora. And James Hong as Hannibal Chu. James motherfucking Hong. Yep. Joanna That's Cassidy was guess. looking good, by the way, back then. What's that? Joanna Cassidy was looking good back then. I just thought all Indeed. of them were looking good back then. Outside outside of uh, M. Emmett Wall, she makes a living on not looking good. James Hong. James Hong. Well, and that's James Hong. Like, before I could even see his face, I heard him speak two words. I'm like, that's James Hong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that. You know what's funny is I was watching it with the girls, and that he spoke two words off camera, and Katie goes, that's Lil Pan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you are my child. <laughs> so... She's but, really pissing me off. <laughs> so, oh, now I want to watch that again. Oh, <laughs> James Hong, I love you so much. So, uh, Ridley Scott and Jordan Cronenworth uh, achieved the famous shining eyes effect by using a technique invented by Fritz Lang. From Metropolis, Spain. Right? And if you do not know Fritz Lang, uh, go back and look up silent movies of the 20s, right? Just look at Metropolis. That's yeah, all you need to know. Seriously. Yeah. Of the Schuftan process, light is bounced into the actor's eyes off a piece of half-mirrored glass mounted at 45-degree angles to the camera. Yeah, fair warning. There's going to be a lot of trivia for both of these because there's a hell of a lot of interesting trivia. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the other, one of the things that when we're watching movies in this. One of the things I like to say to the girls, I'm like, look – Watch this movie and understand this is a long time before anybody did digital work. Ever like everything in this is practical effects, and yep. and thankfully they're like okay, wow, you know that sort of you know it's there's it's they're really more impressed versus nowadays with the, you know you can achieve pretty much any effect using the computer. Um, so after you know, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say that first shot alone where you see the car flying and there's the building. That building is just magnificent. <laughs> oh, the, word I have for the it. Tyrell uh, arcology. Yeah. Yeah. Looks, that, yeah. It looks kind of like a big pyramid, but with windows. Looks like yeah. uh, Aslan. Yes. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of like Aztec and uh, Mexican type imagery in uh, Blade Runner. Um, that, yeah, that, I've seen models of that one and it is immense. I mean, well, and I'd forgotten until I was watching. I'm like, and this is, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, this is a model. Yeah. This is not a real place. This is not digital. Now, granted, it's like five and a half feet tall and 12 feet wide, but they worked on that entire thing and built it so you can look in the windows, so you can have those little elevators going up and down on the outside of it and all that. I mean, it's just... Looks like the Death Star set on Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. That, mm-hmm. that kind of scale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Pris me first meets Sebastian when she runs away from him, skids into his car, and smashes in the window uh, of the car with her elbow. This was actually a mistake. 
and uh, Hannah slipped on the wet ground. The glass was not breakaway glass, and she chipped her elbow in eight places and still has Ouch. a scar from the ac- accident. I thought it looked kind of awkward. Yet, <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, that was really good. That was impressive, you know. I didn't realize Daryl Hannah had enough weight behind her to actually break a window. Yeah, <laughs> unintentional stunt work. Always good. <laughs> Always looks good. Especially with that makeup on. Uh, I actually read this earlier today when I was reading about it. Uh, Ridley Scott cast Rutger Hauer without even seeing him. She had, he had uh, watched his performances in Turkish Delight, Kitty Tipple, and Soldier of Orange, and was so impressed he cast him immediately. However, for the first meeting, Hauer uh, decided to play a joke on uh, Ridley Scott and showed up wearing a huge green sunglasses, pink satin pants, and a white sweater with an image on the fox in the front. Uh, according to Catherine Hyber, who was a production executive, uh, Ridley Scott saw him and all the blood drained out of his face. So, good on you, Christopher Hauer. Keeping it weird. Um, I kind of feel bad for Rutger Hauer on this one because he kind of gave his best performance in the beginning of his career. Yeah. I don't know. I think he was fantastic in Hobo with a Shotgun, and I know that sounds funny, but... Or Blind Fury. It's oh my god! I completely forgot about Blind Fury. <laughs> he convinced me he was blind. He was so good. <laughs> Seen when he was driving the van. Oh. Yeah. I enjoyed Hobo with a shotgun for what it was. I still think his performance in this is better, and it's not even close. I'm not comparing the two in terms of that. I'm just saying that he still got the chops. Sure. Oh, yeah, he can play. I mean, but you can't you can't say that the tears in the rain speech was better than any was uh, equivalent to anything in the oboe with a shotgun. Well, and get oh, yeah, get to this next okay. item because okay. I think it's pretty awesome. So uh, Rutger Hauer came up with many inventive ideas for his character race, characterization, like the moment where he grabs and fondles a dove. Uh, he also improvised and now iconic. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Uh, he later chose all those moments as a title of his autobiography. Yeah, best line in the whole movie, and it was an improvised line by Rutger Hauer. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, Joanna Cassidy was at ease with the snake around her neck because it was her pet. <laughs> a Burmese python named Darling. Huh. Yeah, so it was real. Yeah. Ah. See what you did there. It uh, wasn't a replicant after all. They lied to me. So this this had a rough opening. It it did pretty good for you know when it, for what it was for the time, but I think there was a lot of confusion. Sure, I mean the studio didn't trust the audiences to be able to work it out, and they forced Harrison Ford to come in and record those voiceovers. Yeah, and Harrison Ford fought them every step of the way. He did not like the fact that he had to come in there and 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 basically make any sort of commentary on it. He he is a very good actor. He did not he didn't believe in it. And to this day he was you know, he still says that was a bad idea. So box office uh box office weekend, opening weekend it did a budget it had a budget of twenty eight million dollars, which honestly for what they did is pretty damn impressive. Oh, consider the time too. I mean, right. 
Uh, opening weekend, it did $6.1 million, and gross USA, $27 million. But it made bank on uh, on video and DVD and Blu-ray and Betamax and every other format it came out. In fact, this is one of the first movies to come out on DVD. This says uh, if you take in – there's an inflation calculator. $28 million in 82 is about $71 million in 2017 so that's a real respectable opening oh yeah and i'd like to tell you more about how much it made but uh as of recently imdb has decided that that information is for imd pro members only so uh, they're really they're really fucking up imdb man yeah they got rid of all the the whole comments you know you can't discuss movies anymore Hmm. yeah it sucks and they're trying to make every, put everything behind paywalls and shit. Yeah, well, well, you know, it's the internet. We'll find it somewhere else. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was not a box office hit, which I think... Here, here's my take on it. It came out 1980... Uh, I just lost it. 1982. So this was between um, Empire and Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone saw Harrison Ford in a sci-fi movie and walked into it, and the and the trailers also for this time kind of showed off the more action scenes. Everybody walked into it expecting uh, Han Solo in an action sci-fi flick. Instead, what they got was two hours of the discussion of the who, what makes us man, what makes us human, and debating what debating the uh, what make you know, a, a philosophical movie. Is it ethical to enslave something that, that, you know, it's practically sentient? Yeah. Right. And they, questions about why Roy Batty did what he did. Is Deckard a replicant? And is Deckard even a hero? Mm-hmm. They didn't see Alien, and then maybe I could understand that. But if you've seen Alien, I would hope they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, well, but this is, as much as I love Alien, this is a deeper dive. Yeah, Right, and, but and Alien is not a barn burner. No, no, no. Alien is, but Alien was 1979, and they had, between then and now, they had two Star Wars movies, a bunch of people jumping on board with trying to, you know, cash in on it. So they see a familiar face. I mean, in the poster itself, you know, Harrison Ford is prominent on there. They look at it, they see Harrison Ford, they think Han Solo, and go in expecting Han Solo to do what Han Solo does. And instead, they get a futuristic Sam Spade novel. Han Solo doesn't do what Han Solo does. Or Han Solo. Sorry. I have no idea what that means. Oh, it's, it's a James Cameron South Park joke thing. Oh. Okay. But yeah, so we all watched the final cut, which out of all the the seven that are out there, because there was, God, I can't remember all. We'll go over the, there was a theatrical cut that had the voiceovers. There was a second theatrical cut that changed up the ending that had the uh, happy ending. Which um, kind of destroys the entire uh, theme of the movie. If you've seen a move, if you've seen this with Harrison Ford doing voiceovers, and at the end, uh, him and Rachel drive off into the sunset into a wooded forest, you've seen the wrong one. 
Yeah, yeah I, I don't think I've seen that version. Oh, I know there's the TV cut, which specifically re-edited it to make it uh, clear that uh, Deckard is a replicant. Uh, no, Deckard is not a replicant. Right, right. Um, International there- cut, which I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, and the, I know there's the director's cut where they're just like, oh, look at all this shit that was on the cutting room floor. Let's add it all back in for no reason. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the international. We'll just, we'll just throw everything at the wall and see how it all sticks. Yeah, the difference. The interna- bet- I'm sorry. Oh. The the international cut is they they also call it the Criterion edition, and it's just pretty much just like more violent. Yeah, it has three three additional action sequences. Yeah, or three more. Gotcha. Okay, and then we have the final cut. Do we catch them all? And the director's cut, the one that... Yeah, director's international, TV, the two theatrical, the final, we're missing one. There's um, the work print. Oh, the work print. Okay, yeah. that'd be seven. Yeah, so, and the director's cut, don't let them fool you, Ridley Scott had, had and wants nothing to do with the director's cut. Uh, like yeah. like Josh said, it's just, hey, look at this, we found we found 20 more minutes. Toss it in. You know, yeah, his definitive edition is the final cut, right? Yeah, the final cut is the one that he stepped in and basically took everything that he wants out, um, including the con- uh, kind of controversial um, uh, unicorn scene, which brings up a lot of conversation about whether or not... Um, crap, I just lost his name. Edward James Olmos' character. Uh, Gaff. He's a replicant? Yeah. Gaff, because people... Everybody's use- a replicant. Yeah, doesn't matter. It's a planet of replicants. Because um, people have used the unicorn scene that Harrison Ford, when he has that dream of the unicorn, as when Gaff leaves a unicorn outside of his house or outside of his apartment is a statement saying that Gaff knows that Deckard is a, is a replicant because he knows what dreams he has. Uh, that seems to me to be a reach. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I don't... I. If they hadn't already shown him making so many different animals, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the the possibilities are Deckard is human. Deckard and Rachel are effectively G7 as a generation of just two replicants. Or the correct interpretation, which is it doesn't fucking matter. It's not the point. Yes, and that's the one I go with. Yeah. Right. What's interesting, I was just reading about this final cut. It said that Scott, Ridley Scott found the time in mid 2000 to help put together the definitive version. He got stopped midway through due to legal and financial issues and then didn't finish it until 2007. So he really, that is his preferred version. So I'm glad we ended up with that one. Oh yeah. 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 And this was too big of a movie for, for him to not step in and say this is this is the way it's supposed to look um because you have guys in suits behind uh big tables making decisions about whether or not the the populace can determine uh the annoyances of you know do they have to have everything spelled out for them which yes and no it's not an easy movie let's just be honest no 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 It, it really isn't and I think some of the reception to uh, the sequel shows that it's still not an easy movie, and there are a lot of people that are too dumb for it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I, um, when I was at where was I? I was at 
one of my previous jobs, I think it was Trader Joe's, talking about Blade Runner with someone, and it was like, oh yeah, I watched that. It was like, yeah, it's like uh, Harrison Ford just chasing around a bunch of robots. Just like, you know, I, I, I don't like to say that a movie is not made for somebody, because I like to think that you know movies are made for whoever likes enjoys them. Just at that point, I'm like, this movie's not made for you. Yeah, and like people like or dislike what they like or dislike. Right. But you describe that film that way, I'm judging the hell out of you. Exactly. Like you, you obviously were not paying enough attention to what was going on, or you just watched it because you saw Harrison Ford. But um, one of the cool things about this is that it's the Phil- kind of person that thinks that Stuart Little is levels. There's so many levels to that movie. Don't you talk you shit about it? Stuart Little? Shit, man. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the things that I love about the this movie is if you've read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, it's in the same world, but Deckard is a different character in the book. Philip K. Dick read the um, read and saw some of the uh, pre pre release stuff on this and read the script and made the statement that they basically, he said, they've reached into my head and they saw what the future looks like in this movie. They have basically created what I, what I wanted. This is exactly what it's supposed to look like. And while the book and the movie are not initially the same, the people that like the movie will enjoy the book and the people that have enjoyed the book will like the movie. And unfortunately, so it got his seal of approval. Oh yeah, totally got a seal of approval. And unfortunately, he died before it was released. Oh, which is sad because this probably would have been, you know, his best of all. But yeah, so um, we had also talked a little bit about uh, Metropolis, and if you have seen Metropolis, and again, it's another rough watch. Uh, if you have never seen a silent movie, I have no idea what else you can watch to get yourself ready for it. But <laughs> it's, it's in a league of its own. It, it really is. But they did a lot of the imagery and a lot of the take a lot of the vision from Metropolis carried over into Blade Runner and the extended scene. Ready for this, Joel? Where mm-hmm. Rachel and Deckard drive off into the uh, pastor or pastor the uh, past what the hell's with a cow's pasture. pasture. Yeah, they drive off into the su- sunset. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> who was that shot by? Eddie Van Halen. You are right. <laughs> uh, Stanley Kubrick. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Ridley Scott called Stanley. Hey, Stan, could I use some of the extra uh, helicopter shots that you had from The Shining? And he said, sure. <laughs> so, kind of weird. Now, the reason I said if you've watched Blade Runner once, you've watched it zero times is because the plot isn't what you think it is. And I think it takes the revelation of where Deckard gets at the end for you to go back with that in mind and rewatch and recontextualize the entire story. Because while Roy Batty is not necessarily a hero, Rick Deckard certainly isn't a fucking hero either. Right. No, and and I agree with you that this is this is not a movie that you watch and go, wow, that was fantastic. I've got I got everything that I can get out of that movie, and I feel so good about myself in the world having seen <laughs> it. Yeah, because 
At least, at least I'm not a replicant. I don't think. <laughs> I, I know, right? Um, I mean, you can sympathize with the replicants once you realize why they are killing humans, why they've come back to Earth, is they figured out they've got a built-in expiration date, and they just want to live. They don't understand why anyone would make something that can think and feel and experience this and give them this arbitrary expiration date where they're just going to die and everything they know, everything they've experienced is just gone forever. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that that makes the most human of all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that the big uh, human thing that you see out of Roy Batty, it isn't him saving Decker after Deckard's last act on this earth. He, what he thought as he was falling to his death, his last act was to, to spit on Roy. Uh, let's face it. Decker's kind of a piece of shit until after Roy saves him. Mm-hmm. That's not the most human thing. It's the genuine uh, sorrow he has at having to kill JF because he killed Tyrell because he got a chance to look his God in the eye and he said, I did all these horrible things. And when his God didn't judge him, he was disappointed. So he destroyed him. Mm-hmm. And that scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the scene is really intense. Uh, if I, I can't think that anybody out there has not seen this. If you're listening to this show. If we, right. Um, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah. I mean, no, <laughs> we're not calling spoilers. Yeah. But, uh, but no, that's the... He comes to Tyrell expecting forgiveness and salvation. Yeah, and if he'd even gotten judgment, I think Tyrell walks away. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could definitely see what that. What do you think he would have considered judgment? Uh, condemnation of his actions. Um, and I, I think that uh, if all he gets is condemnation, he doesn't walk away satisfied but he lets Tyrell live. What he's probably looking for out of that encounter is an explanation for why. Like, even if he can accept that Tyrell can't extend his lifespan, which is what, that's his plan A. I think somewhere deep down, he knows he's not getting that. Mm-hmm. He does. He, I mean, and he comes in there, that's the first conversation that they have. But he definitely wants to know why. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, is... Even if he doesn't get the answer why, he would have been satisfied with knowing that his creator had an opinion about the horrible things he's done to get to see him. But the fact that his uh, creator immediately ethically and morally equivocates all the murders he's committed because he's done all these other things as well, uh, I, I honestly think... That he, uh, it wasn't a murder out of rage. It was a murder out of sorrow. Or disappointment. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I, and the thing is, this, this, this show, it's almost hard to do this with just, with splitting two movies in half. Cause there's so many points that you could talk about with just Blade Runner. Uh, the other portion of it is the creation of Rachel. Uh, oh, yeah. They create Rachel as a... Um, she's one of the Nexus 7s, 
or as far as we know, the only Nexus 7. Like a prototype? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah it a, seemed like that was the case. She is incredibly good at looking human, as in the conversation when uh, Deckard starts doing the comp. Uh, I forgot the first word, the comp uh, test on her, and it takes 120 questions versus 20 to 30 questions to determine if she is a, a replicant or not. And I think part of that is the illusion so convincing that she doesn't know she's a replicant until Deckard tells her. That's exactly it. Is After the conversation's had and Rachel is dismissed by Tyrell, he turns from the first thing he says is, she doesn't know. Whereas uh, Pris, Zora, and Roy Batty all knew that they were replicants. And she was the first one. Rachel was the first one to have the memories implanted into her head to give her something to fall back on. Whereas Roy Batty just had the now. He had whatever happened from his creation to now. He had no socialization. I don't even know how to put it. That's a good word to use, I guess. Yeah. No No, no field of reference. Yeah. That's the, I think that's even better. No, no field of reference to frame his actions in, because you you are in you're in kindergarten and you're taught don't punch your friend in the face because that's wrong. Well, Rucker Howard comes on to it. He's not, well, I'm sorry, not Rucker. Roy Betty is created and immediately put into combat. So he knows what combat is. He knows he needs to get from point A to point B. This person's in my way. I have to kill them or destroy them to get them out of the way. So that's why he reacts in that way when he's coming back to Earth. That's all he knows. That's not until later that uh, that he discover, you know, that he comes across the idea that there's some compassion in the world with the rescuing of. Uh, the rescuing of Deckard as he just before he falls off the building. I'm not 100% sure it was like completely uh, obvious, but why do you why do you think that Roy saved him instead of letting him die? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with you got to take a look at uh, the last actions before they die, uh, the decisions that are made of both Deckard and Roy, because Deckard doesn't die, but he thinks he's about to fall off a building until Roy saves him. And what he does with his last moment, his, the last decision he can make is to spit on Roy. Roy knows he's going to die. His expiration date is up. He can already feel the shutdown happening. He decides his last act is going to be to save this human that doesn't even see him as a person, doesn't care at all about him. And I think it comes down to Roy saying that uh, if I want humanity, I want to be a human, but if this is the best humanity can do. I'm going to be better than that. I'm going to be more human than human, which is some, uh, something that is repeated over and over again through both films. Now that theme with here, here's, here's another take on that thing. You have Deckard who has a broken hand hanging off, off a building for the entirety of the last five, 10 minutes of the movie. Roy Beatty has been hunting him. He, he Deckard doesn't have his gun. His hand is broken. He has absolutely no way to defend himself with him spitting on him is I mean, that is like the last bastion of 
defense that he has. He can't throw a punch to the guy. His hand is busted. He, there's nothing he can do. Do you think maybe that Deckard's reaction in that way was out of fear? My, This is the only thing I can do to defend myself, the only thing I can do to put him off. And then the saving of Deckard's life by Roy Betty was a, was a less of a redemption and more of a compassion thing. I think compassion comes into it, but I don't think uh, Deckard's spit is out of fear or out of self-defense. I think it's out of sheer unadulterated contempt and hmm. defiance. Yeah. You may, yeah. You, you're about yeah. to kill me, but I just spat on you type of thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I, I think that that also makes the first love scene between Deckard and Rachel extremely creepy and a little rapey because at that point, I don't think he yet completely sees her as a person. He sees her as a machine, a thing. Like one of the one of the sex slaves, or you know, the sex robots, or whatever they called them. Right, and I do think that he develops genuine feelings for her after his encounter with Roy on the rooftop. But I don't think he's all the way there until that moment, which uh, made me deeply uncomfortable while rewatching that first love <laughs> scene because there's a lot of him physically interposing himself in a very like I'm powerful. You're not sort of way that's in a Harvey Weinstein way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, less Bill Cosby, more Weinstein. I mean, he did start taking a shower at one point in front of her. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's still relevant today. I I know that Pat, you've said you don't like bash you in the face allegory. This, there's a lot of allegory here, but it, (laughs) is very, very, I'm not going to say subtle, but it's not blatant and uh, hammering you with the point. I mean, basically, we're looking at a marginalized people that was used for slave labor to advance the human race. And they're trying to have their own little civil rights movement. And Yeah, you don't have to, like, dig too deep to find the allegory, is my point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, the- but, but it's definitely not as, you know, this is that's why I like this movie versus Heather's, which is much more... Uh, or a Starship Troopers, if you will. Well, people can watch this and see it as a science fiction movie and totally miss anything that's going on and just enjoy it for that. But if you're paying attention, then it's obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to miss the allegories towards racism and X-Men to miss them in this as well. It's not slapping you over the face with it, but you only have to be paying a little bit of attention to see it. Yeah. So, allegory. <laughs> yeah, not all at once. <laughs> not every. Don't let's not jump in. Let's all, start something. Yeah. Yeah. Someone say something. Um. No, I mean it's the, the thing is about this movie is th- there's entire like college courses that are based off studying this movie. You've got a prolific writer, a Philip K. Dick, who has written many books on reflection on reality on society and about the trend you know about the progression of technology and everything i mean philip k dick's stories if you if anybody's out there and has not read at least one philip k dick story uh don't start with do androids dream of electric sheep it's it's a it's not i don't think is his best out of all of his all of his books 
Um, I personally think that uh, I forgot the name of the. Uh, we can get it to you wholesale. We can remember it for you wholesale. The one that's based uh, uh, that recall? yeah, the total recall one. I think is a lot more fun. It's a good start to uh, Philip K. Dick books. Um, you've got the director of um, Ridley Scott, who has started really creating himself as a as a director that makes visions versus making movies. For sure. And it's easily 25 years before he climbs up inside his own asshole and forgets how to make movies. Yeah. Oh, Ridley. Yeah. Shit. Spoiler alert, I didn't like Prometheus. No. <laughs> See, I would disagree, but... See... Oh, you disagree that he didn't like it? No, I disagree that he's... I think Josh did like it. Own. And at this point where Josh crawled up his own ass. <laughs> Said he didn't like Prometheus when he really did. Um, But... Let's talk a little bit about the effects. Uh, the spinners were amazing. I want a spinner. If you don't know what a spinner is, it's it, the the cop car, the one that can fly uh, and the wheels drop off the bottom. Um, I, I was like, what are we talking about, spinners? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Spinners spinners is the name is what the uh, the cars are called in this one. Okay. Um, spinners. I love the look of them. I love the look of the city. The now, this is something that you don't, I, I kind of feel bad for, is that you don't have matte artists anymore. Uh, if you, you know, don't, They're just not utilized. Exactly. Like not every movie is going to have a matte artist, whereas before, you know, if you had a long shot, a long shot that had a, a back scene to it, then you definitely would have a matte artist. And the matte artist, would, what they would do is they would paint the backgrounds of movies on glass and then they would superimpose the image the close-up image over the glass to give you this depth so a lot of the city that you saw like past the giant um tyrell temple was all painted glass yeah and matte painting in filmmaking hits that weird niche where it's neither cheap uh nor easy Mm-hmm. So, like, if you've got the money, a lot of people are just going to use more modern technology, which is uh, both cheaper and less labor-intensive. And if you don't have that money, you you aren't going to do it. You can't afford to do it. Right. And I'm not saying that the digital artists are not creating great things, because digital art, I've tried it. I've tried drawing. I've tried illustrating. I've tried doing stuff on my computer and it is something that is beyond me at this point i have complete respect for someone who can do a matte painting for a movie on a computer so i'm definitely not discounting what they do but on the computer and being able to there is a little it is definitely a little bit easier when you can sit down at a tablet and work on it that way versus having a 10 foot by 6 foot glass pane that you're painting on for sure. And I think they're still figuring out how to uh, appropriately uh, use the new technology, and they've made some great strides in the last 10 years. Oh, definitely. Um, the one, one thing I found kind of unusual watching it again, are guns a lot more powerful in this world than they are? Cause yeah, it's, it's, pr- it's probably some kind of like 
electrical uh, powered gunpowder type thing, like a higher explosive. Explosive rounds or something like that. Yeah. And I think they're if probably not even, or they're not even using gunpowder, some kind of new explosion or something. Yeah, and they're probably using guns that are specifically to kill replicants because right. I think that it's not just willingness to do the hard labor. Replicants are hardier, they're stronger. Like you got to have a big explosion just to get through the skin. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, they talked about their abilities. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I was imagining in terms of Deckard's gun was that it's not just your normal <laughs> sidearm. Yeah. Yeah. What def- they say about Leon, you can't hurt him unless you kill him. Yeah. And Zora, I mean, she was, they, they seem to have a thing maybe like uh replicant one Oh one training, go for the eyes. <laughs> It's like if you grab some, if you're going to hurt somebody, grab them by the head and shove their th- your thumbs into their eyes. That is how you kill people. Because if they can't see you, they can't fight you. Well, I think it matters at that point. So, Pat, what do you? Mike. Th- hey, you've been kind of quiet. I'm sorry. You got any? I'm letting you guys talk. You guys, are... I like Blade Runner, but I'm not like a, a, a you know a huge fan or anything. So I'm letting you guys talk. Because you guys are the ones that like well, it. Well, I want to know. I mean, I want. I, I like it. I mean, it's good. Okay. No, I, 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 I don't. I, I don't have yeah. much more to add than what you guys are saying already, because I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, is anyone familiar with the Blade Runner uh, PC adventure game by Westwood? What? No. no. Uh, the only reason uh, I bring it up is because while it is not. A hundred percent awesome. It's not like your Curse of Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion level adventure game. It does some interesting things where you are playing a different character who is also a Blade Runner in the same world, investigating uh, some of the other Nexus Sixes. And uh, the game progresses real time, so you can miss clues if you don't go to certain areas uh, at certain points. And also the game recognizes your choices and depending on how you're playing it, your main character is or is not a replicant based on how you are making your choices by the Hmm. end of the game. So I thought that was a real innovation in that kind of genre. So it was worth just mentioning. Nice. And you have a, you have a void camp test during the game also. Yep. Yeah, it's very much, I mean, granted, it's one of those that sounds better on paper than its execution, and not all paths are equally well written, but, like, it's abandonware, so if you can get it to work, it's probably worth a few hours to putter around with. I remember buying the 4CD edition when it first came out. I have to look that up. I knew of it, but I have never played it. Yeah, I owned it back in the day, so I wanted to at least mention it. Hmm. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't either. Nice. All right. Oh, are we ready to go to the break before we talk about 2049? I think we are. I think so. Patrick, do you have anything to join? Like I said, I no. I mean, I agree with. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with everything you guys have said. I don't. I mean, I, you, you guys have covered everything. The movie is is well acted, well written. Cinematography is hmm. great. Genre defining. I don't know how much more I can add. Pat says, stop asking me questions. Oh. And Sean Young looked really good. I don't know. <laughs> Except for the rapey scene. Made me uncomfortable. I don't know. what. What's the little rape between robots? Okay, let's go to the break. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't have asked him. 
are back and going to talk about Blade Runner 2049. The movie that was so good, it needed three pre-trailers to help you catch up to what was going on, which I'm kind of glad they did. I missed out on them. I would try to time it right, and it just didn't work out. That's all right. Um, came out 2017, and now we are in two, 2049 versus the 2018 of the original Blade Runner. And K is a replicant that works for the LAPD as a Blade Runner and hunts down and retires rogue replicants, killing his own people. Uh, on assignment, K visits a protein farm. Read, <laughs> that full of slugs... Patrick, I know what you're going with. No. <laughs> Dave Batista's over there masturbating. The, the dehydration alone. Um, and Just reti- drink more milk. That's how it works. Oh, God. Uh, and retires the rogue replicant Sapper Morton. He then finds a box buried under a singular tree in the area, and uh, they discover that they are the remains of a female replicant who died during childbirth having a c-section dun 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 um they decide that replicants can reproduce through conventional conventional that is conventional and sexual together consensual sexual conventions exactly uh means and previously thought impossible haha tyrell gets the last laugh and uh life life, uh finds a way finds a way there you go now I've got a picture of you like shirtless sitting on that. <laughs> you I mean, always have a picture of me shirtless. I know it's because you keep sending them to me. <laughs> With me on his chest, listening to it rise and fall. <laughs> God damn it! I have a visual imagination. Oh, you guys take over. I'm done for the night. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in the meantime, Kay's superior is fearful that the knowledge that replicants can reproduce could lead to a war between humans and replicants, and the battle breaks out. Retire the child. Uh, <clears throat> this has a Rotten Tomatoes of 87% critics and 81% audience, which I think is kind of right. Higher than we're led to believe, though. I know. Uh, if you, if you t- talk about this movie, it, there seems to be a lot of people that are like, Mooing over it. They didn't, yeah, they didn't. It wasn't good. You heard that too? Yeah, what was that? The cow says moo. <laughs> that was moo. Lucy. She was stretching. That was not Lucy. That was Lucy. Hey. I forgot you have a Lucy. I is, have a Lucy. You, and is Lucy a cow? <laughs> when, she's, <laughs> Kinda. when she stretches, she makes that. Did she like Blade Runner 2049? <laughs> she slept through the whole thing. Aw. Uh, so this is directed by. Dennis Villanueva, who is known for The Arrival. Prisoners. And what? Prisoners. Prisoners? Which one was Prisoners? The Hugh Jackman movie. Oh, yeah, Prisoners. He's He was a very good choice for this film. He makes very thoughtful and kind of dark films. Yeah. That was a pretty dark film. Uh, screenplay, Michael Green, who is known for, this is where it gets weird, Logan... Heroes, he was a producer on, and then the, one of the writers on Green Lantern. But, the Seth Rogen one? What's that? The Seth Rogen Green Lantern? That's, that's Green Hornet, dumbass. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the now, Ryan Reynolds. Yes, but he is also the executive producer on American Gods. Well, 
was. Was, that's true. Past yeah. tense. Talk about the way to fuck up a nearly perfect season one of TV. Mm. We'll, we'll, but, that's, a, that's, a, that's an argument we don't want to start right that's, now. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone was arguing. It's just entirely a tangential. Yeah, yeah. He wrote uh, the story for Alien Covenant, and Logan makes sense. I mean, with this, I mean, as far as sure. uh, storytelling style. Mm-hmm. Uh, this stars Ryan Gosling as K, Dave Bautista as Sapper Morton. This is as as they show up. Robin Wright as Lieutenant Joshi, who you may know as Princess Buttercup from, from uh, Wonder Princess, Woman from Princess Bride. Yeah, she was in Wonder <laughs> Woman also. <laughs> and House of Cards. Yep. Yeah, true. And Same. I Vice do. President. Robin Wright looks pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joy is played by Ana de Armas, who you may know from uh, Hands of Stone and uh, War Dogs. And I... Knock Knock. Knock Knock? The Oops. Eli Roth remake. Oh, okay. Uh, David Dasmalakachan? <laughs> Dave. Dave. I, I saw his last name, and all I could think of was Dachshund. Da- Dachshund. Yeah, that dude. David, da- David Dachshund as David Coco. <laughs> Sylvia Hoax as Love. As the psychotic uh, hunter, Edward James Olmos, awesome as Gaff. <laughs> very brief character, or uh, very brief cameo. I and it wasn't even a cameo. I mean, it's, he's definitely the same guy. They put them, put him in the same makeup, gave him the mustache and all that, and I was excited to see him in this movie. I, I thought the little uh, shot of him in the uh, prequel uh, shorts was pretty sweet too. Oh, and the animated one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jared Leto being creepier than he could possibly be trying to do the Joker as Nyander Wallace. Lenny James as Mr. Cotton. Yes. Carla Jury as Dr. Anna Staline. And Harrison Ford, rounding it out, coming back as Rick Deckard. And who doesn't love Lenny James? I mean, come on. Uh, Lenny James' ex-girlfriend. That's possible, Yes. She still but loves him. He, <laughs> he, he's he's always good. He never phones in. See if we can work this out, kids. No, he that was actually his scene was actually really good. I enjoyed that was good stuff. Um, so trivia: David Bowie was uh, Dennis uh, Villanueva. <laughs> that guy's first choice for the vo- role of Neander Wallace, but uh, he died before they started shooting. That's what That's, you get. For procrastination, Dennis. Not that it would have stopped him from dying. You kill David Bowie if you procrastinate. Exactly. Jerk. Uh, the opening scene in which Kay confronts Sapper Morton is a near-exact remake of a scene written and storyboarded but never filmed for the original Blade Runner. And I guess we can procrastinate all we want now since Bowie's gone. Already way ahead of you. <laughs> Unless no, you want to have the cranberries in the next one. Well, Too soon. Um, the text of the baseline that K must recite and blood black nothingness began to spin a system of cells interlinked within and more uh, is from Vladimir Nabokov's Pale Fire lines 703 to 707 of the poem. And I know you all went, you know, that I swear that's Nabokov. I thought it was familiar. Seriously. Uh, the novel that Joy volunteers to read K. 
The passage goes on to describe the mind of any man is quick to recognize natural shams. The reed becomes a bird and knobby twig, an inchworm. Recognizing natural shams, of course, is an apt description of a Blade Runner's job. Hmm. Interesting. Pretty yeah. And almost paralleling the uh, casting of Roy Beatty, the role of Officer K was written specifically with Ryan Gosling in mind. He was the only choice for Denise. Second second choice was Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) It's interesting because Villanueva um, in two of his other films has used Jake Gyllenhaal. So, you know, sometimes directors like to keep their same character. But I mean, I think Ryan Gosling was the right choice because he tends to have the ability to not emote. Yes, he's almost like a human uncanny valley. (laughs) That's really specific and right. Well, you look at his face. It looks like it was computer generated and is almost realistic, but not quite, which makes him a perfect replicant character. Yeah, I I thought it was it was proper casting for sure. Yeah, I can't. I while the casting, I I do think this would be an amazing movie if Zach Galifianakis was actually (laughs) the Blade Runner. But uh, no, I agree with you. He he did do a great job of the. Pulling off the impassiveness of a machine doing its job. Does that make sense? And who would have thought the replicant hologram love story would have been like one of the most soulful beats of the movie? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, there's like a mini, there's like a mini version of uh, that movie. What was it? Her with Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but even that, you don't have the prostitute hologram replicant three-way. Yeah, that was trippy. That yeah. was kind of weird. But um, I think for all of us, this was the first viewing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is no other. Right now, this is the only imi- the only uh, version that's out there. And according to Villanueva, it is the only version he wants. It is Good. his definitive vision. Good. I... <laughs> So often I'm I'm disappointed in the fact that people behind desks get to have get to have opinions about <laughs> stuff like this. <laughs> Just give us the money, let us do our thing and trust us. That's that's my my take on it. Well, basically this film had to accomplish at least 3 things. It had to live up to the legacy of the original. It had to forge its own identity. And it had to justify why do we need another Blade Runner at all? And I think through that lens, uh, if you think the answer to those three questions is yes, this movie succeeded on those three points, it's going to tell us a lot about how you felt about the film. Which I would say, before we even get to that point, I would say yes, it does. In the way that Train Spotting did in a lot of ways. I agree, and I feel very similar about it, where it's by no means a perfect film, but I believe it's a successful one based on those three criteria. I agree with you, and you can almost kind of see it from the uh, from the uh, Rotten Tomatoes ratings. This is a Blade Runner movie. It is a good Blade Runner movie, but it's not as good as the original Blade Runner, and all the scores are like 10% lower than, than they Which are. Which is still... Which, Pretty good for a damn movie. I mean, oh yeah, no, not saying not. To, I mean, I I enjoyed this. There's not a whole this. lot of movies that over eighty in both, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes. And so, uh, are we all on board with this? Are you there, Pat? Based on those three criteria, was it a successful movie? Yeah, I mean, I actually I enjoyed it. 
Okay. Now, one of the things that Patrick did Pat did comment on is this this what did you say? This movie has a pacing of molasses. Yeah. Which well, it's three do, hours though. and it feels like three hours. It does. You will look at your watch and there's the, well, a lot of lingering shots. Yeah. But they are they're pretty. <laughs> It's yeah. no different than the original, though. The That's original a, was just as guilty of that. No, no, no. I don't think guilty of it. I think it was just the way the story was told. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad this took three hours. Um, I'm glad <laughs> that they kept that pacing because that was kind of thematic for the first Blade Runner. Well, and they say something like eighty percent of movies uh, go to the plot beat book. Where a certain number of seconds in, this happens, then a certain number of seconds in, this next scene happens. Mm -hmm. And you can actually sit down with the book and watch, doesn't matter the genre, comedy, horror, drama, whatever. And most films follow this pacing style guide to the second. This film does not do that. Well, and the other thing is, is that when I, when I started to watch this, I clicked on the little time thing to see, cause I didn't see how long it was beforehand. I was like, holy crap. But in reality, you couldn't have told the story if you'd shammed it into an hour and a half. Agreed. No, you would have lost so much. And it's yeah, it even felt long, but I don't know where I would have cut it. That, yeah, no, I agree with you that. I mean, even the scenes that just had the spinners flying into the city to come after Harrison Ford and uh, Ryan Gosling. Those those scenes were visually striking and created an emotion in you. When in in, in that scene when they're flying into into New Vegas, um, for lack of a better term, do you want some? What do you say? Do you want some whiskey? I have got thousands of bottles of whiskey. Um, when, but when those spinners come flying in and you're seeing the reflection of them in the glass of the buildings as they're going by and as they're cruising in there, you it takes that time, you know, whether 45 seconds or a minute of them coming in and builds that dread where you know the attack is coming. It's, while it is three hours long, I don't feel that any frames of this movie were a waste. I agree. Uh, I do have one medium-sized, I'm not going to call it a large problem, but I have a medium-sized problem with the film, and that's love. Uh, Sylvia Hoke's character, I kind of feel in a world where we've got the shades of gray, uh, especially when it comes to the baddies, where you take a look at from Deckard to Roy Batty, it's the smear of gray where you can't tell where villain ends and hero begins. Love is kind of a problem. She's flat. She is completely villainous. And I, I kind of feel that while I get it, she is of the new generation of replicants that is 100% loyal to Neander Wallace. I, I'm not saying that there isn't justification in the script for how she is, but I'm saying that that sort of villain is sort of a disservice to what we know about antagonists in the world of Blade Runner. Mm. I can agree with you on that. She, while Roy Beatty was the villain, quote unquote, the villain in this in the original Blade Runner, he definitely did have his moments. He cared for Pris. He cared for the other replicants that were on there. Love is singular in her duty. Yeah, and that's the thing is you've got a, a climax where I've 
stated that I believe Roy is better than Deckard. Love is better than no one. So but I mean, she's obsessed with that though. She wanted sure. to be the best, and I, I think it's it's a pro- probably a byproduct, maybe, of the evolutionary change. She might be the next step in the replicants where they can they start becoming competitive and egotistical and things like that. Well, and that's the thing is she is of the generation that cannot disobey the Wallace court. That's like their whole thing. So like, I get why she is the way she is. So I'm not saying in world, I have a problem. I'm saying the decisions of the filmmakers to have a character that behaves like that. It's not a complete betrayal, but it's a little off from what I come to expect out of an antagonist in a Blade Runner story. Well, she even makes a comment in the movie, I am the best. I think, I think it might be, if you look at it from a, from a realistic standpoint, it might be a little more realistic because as generations of these replicants go on and stuff and they start, you know, evolving or whatever, you know, they will, there will, (laughs) yeah, there will be extremes at one end or the other. There's probably like a complete opposite of that, like a complete pacifist shepherd type replicate somewhere that, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, the bell curve, you know, dictates that there's going to be some outliers. And I think that's probably, even though it's very clear, especially if you've watched the shorts, which I know you didn't get to, that that's not the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Wallace specifically got permission to bring back the replicants based on this. They can't disobey. They can't uh, go beyond their programming. Mm. I think it's clear that that's not necessarily a hundred percent true. As you said, life's going to find a way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and my, my take on it is she was Wallace's right hand in this. I believe that she, in this movie, she was kind of like the parallel to Rachel. She oh, was for sure. Yeah. She was definitely a, a test to see what they could do. Um, there is another interesting question that I had right off the kick. Is Neander Wallace just a blind guy with eye drones or is he a replicant? Oh my God. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally believe that he's a replicant. Oh yeah. He's a replicant. I thought it was kind of obvious. I didn't get that. That's the thing is I just kept referring to everything as we and us. And, you know, I just assumed that if he's a replicant, uh, he's, way way off of the other replicants because he must have existed he's got to be a g6 if he's a replicant yeah i mean i'm uh, just i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with my whole theory that these are just part of the outliers well the thing is is there were no replicants after g7 because the tyrell corporation went under so you've got all the g6s uh which would have been all of roy and his gen no uh I'm sorry, he would they have been next. a G8. The yeah, same generation as Sapper, where they get a full lifespan and they can age and whatnot. So if you look up, is Wallace a replicant? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a lot of articles. 81,000 different articles on that. <laughs> yeah, and the, like there's the case against him being a replicant is that in general, replicants have shown the ability and the propensity to be uh, sympathetic to one another. Mm-hmm. However, on the plus side, uh, did he actually tear out his own eyes so no one could ever identify him? And that's the reason why he's got those dead eyes is because he basically had an eye guy put human eyes in him. Hmm. That is an interesting 
And this is what I love about this world. Is I just I just imagined he was a replicant that tore out his own eyes so he couldn't be identified. Yeah, I mean that's I, I just I didn't even think it was a question. Yeah, I mean publicly he's supposed to be human. Hmm. Yeah, that's in universe it's very clear because he's there were supposed to be no new replicants until he uh, after the blackout. He basically uh, fixed the food problem, shortage problem post blackout, and said, "Look, we're not going to be able to sustain the human race if we don't go further beyond the stars. And to do that, you need to let me make replicants again." Mm-hmm. And they gave in. And if you, um, in the in the pre trailers. There is this scene is completely played out where he approaches and he comes to, I I guess the lawmakers, some sort of city council, yeah, a council of whatever to Led prove. Led by Benedict Wong. Yes, God, I love the Wong brothers. Um, <laughs> it's, um, he comes to prove that his replicants are obedient, and he calls them his angels, like he like he does in the movie, but. He has one replicant with him, and he tells him to shatter. Well, I forget what the command is, but he he shatters a glass pitcher, and is holding the glass in his hand. And he tells the replicant, "It's your choice, my life or yours." And the replicant kills himself. And it's it's a powerful scene. It really is. And Jared Leto, I think, did a great job in this. He wasn't yeah. didn't have a lot of screen time, but the screen time that he was on when when he was on there, he had he was the center of what was going on. Yeah, seriously, uh, if you have no, I'm talking to both Pat and anyone listening. If you haven't watched the three shorts, you've got uh, one that is done by the director of uh, Cowboy Bebop. Yes, in anime style that is. Basically, the reason for the blackout and what happened in 2022 when the blackout happened. The second one is uh, that Jared Leto, Benedict Wong piece about getting the rights to make replicants again. And the last one is one year before uh, 2049. It's a Sapper Morton story with Dave Bautista. Yeah. And Dave Bautista showing off. We discussed a little bit about this early that showing off his chops. That uh, can act. Yeah. yeah, he is definitely becoming a legit actor. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah, it, it's it's funny how good you have to be at acting to be a wrestler, but how many of them really are just so bad at actual like movie acting. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a completely different type of acting. Yeah. He's he's another one of those guys that's just very likable. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I read an interview with him talking about how he struggles to be seen as a you know as a serious actor because of his size you know he's like i mean you can't you can't just write a script for an everyday guy you know and then have me come in and play the role right Right. he's not like the rock is but he's he's still got that same charisma and that same kind of but but he wants to be taken seriously as a real actor he does i mean he doesn't want to be a blockbuster actor you know he just wants he wants to be the indie guy he wants to be joseph gordon levitt (laughs) which i think you know this this film, even though again his part was small, he showed that he has a range, and um, I think he kind of toned down his size a little bit when he put on the glasses. I think that was a nice touch, and then turned it on a dime and made you realize that he was more than just a man. What's the one that he's he's in right now, um, where he plays a, a war veteran? 
Uh, final score, escape plan. I'm looking at his stuff right now. Yeah, I figured. Well, then I was recommending Bushwick to you guys, but that's... Well, you know, that's what I'm thinking action. of. Yeah, what is, yeah what, is, what does he play in that one? Bushwick. Stoop? Well, in, in Bushwick, he's a... Yeah. Well, he he's a janitor at the school, but he's former he's a former um, military medic. Yeah, and he. I mean, in the in the interview I read, it was he was talking about that movie, and he was, he was talking about how he you know they had to specifically dress him in certain ways just to kind of size him down as much as they could. Yeah. Well, they had to age him up for this one because he almost didn't get the part because uh, he was too young. Oh, yeah, sense. they they were basically like, if if we can do it with makeup to make you look like you're the appropriate age, we'll give you the part. But it, it did was, take me a couple seconds to realize it was him because at first I was like, no, nah, that looked like him. <laughs> and then, yeah. then they did the you know the, the side by side a couple times. I'm like, that's definitely him. Yeah. yeah well, he he's 49. Yeah, and he'd been told his whole career he was too big or he was too old. This is the first time he'd been told he was too young. <laughs> and for the amount of time that he was in here. Uh, first off, he was – the importance to the plot did not equate how much he was into the, in this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. He was a big MacGuffin himself, the character. Yes, he was. And it, it, it I had issue with the initial beginning of the movie going, okay, Ryan Gosling versus Dave Bautista. He, even though he's a replicant, even though Ryan's a replicant, I'm going to put my money on Sapper Morton. Well, well, it wasn't until I realized he was a replicant. I'm, I'm like, well, this is going to be in a slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is he a replicant, but I mean, it's basically you're having a Galaxy S6 fighting a Galaxy S8. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that's true. Yeah. And I was it, it was when, the moment when they both came through the wall where I was like, oh, I think he's a replicant. OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and you don't get uh, I don't want to say closure, but explanation on that until you meet. Was the name of the one-eyed lady in the sewers? Um, crap. Isabella Rosalini. Yes, let's go <laughs> with that. Uh, where he, where she the statement is made that Sapper let himself be killed to keep this secret. Yep. So, at, oh, you know, sure. Kay, you didn't kill him. He let you kill him just to keep this keep the uh, the whole secret of the child under wraps. Yeah, the I I thought uh, the, I had seen the saddest thing in the movie when I saw Sapper Morton die because I'd already seen 2048. But then the the two things that kind of like ripped my heart out was when Joy, her emitter was destroyed, <sighs> and then later when the Joy hologram calls him Joe and he realizes that even that last little bit, he doesn't know how much of it was real, how much of it was ever real. I mean, he's just found out that he's not the the, the person he thought he was, that he got his hopes up for. And then he finds out even the person that he loved is just a rip off of, you know, Mm -hmm. it's this adware. (laughs) That was the, that was a brilliant sequence. I was going to bring that up if somebody didn't. So, yeah. yeah, but I, 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 that didn't carry as much of a punch as it should have for me, simply because the, the the crushing of the losing her totally. Because as soon as they made a whole big deal out of you know this is the only copy you could die, I was like, well, that's gonna happen. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. They telegraphed that. I mean that that was, I mean the the second I want to come with you, she's dead. Yeah, like, as soon as she as soon as she starts kicking his ass, I'm I'm like, oh well, this is where she's gonna die. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, the yeah that character and that 
There's no convincing reason after that scene, yeah. by the way, that love doesn't just put a bullet in Kay's head. Yep. Other than plot. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Most of my issues with this come come back to, to love. Well, I think she, while she was as subtle as a brick, she was definitely no Roy Beatty. She was necessary. You needed... She, I mean, you could not have the... I, uh, I'll say, I'm going to say you could not have the character of Wallace as as the villain. He needed he needed his sword that was out there and that had to be love. True. But I mean, the problem with creating a character like that, that is kind of almost uh, world breaking for lack of, a, you know, like, you know, creates the situations like Josh talked about how it's not, you know, it doesn't just match with anything else. The problem with that is, is when you need to like, like, like you said, like there's no reason why she doesn't just put a bullet in his head right away. As soon as, you know, like that, that that's what that character should do according to the rules of the universe and the rules of that character. And it, you, you create your own plot hole by creating that character to be such an absolute force of evil, not a, not a, not a gray. Like you right. Said. Mm. And she didn't feel to me like a replicant. She felt to me like the T 1000. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that is very true. Yeah. So, Terminator I, reference. and I don't necessarily think you really break the plot that much if she takes him captive. Yeah, you. I, I think the biggest problem is is you create a we need the revelation that he gets uh, in the sewers. And how do we get that otherwise? That was another sad point when when they're talking and, and she says, you, you thought you were the one. I fell for it. I totally yeah, fell too, for obviously. it. Obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, when you said that, Pat, all of us were like, "Oh crap!" Yeah, for, I mean, I'm, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just got—I got I to tell the listeners. Like, before we were watching this, Pat was finishing it up, and he's like, "Yeah, so Harrison Ford just showed up, and he's got to find out that uh, you know he's his son, and we got to get out, get all this over with." And then you left, and all three of us were like, "Yeah." <laughs> And there was this awkward moment where I'm like, I don't want to give it away by trying to make it too obvious that Joel's about to accidentally give it away. And I wasn't sure Joel would. So I'm I'm just kind of like, let's stop talking about this right now. And I may have just spoiled it saying that. <laughs> yeah, we were doing the spoiler dance. So that's why I decided to go ahead and just start talking about something else. Right. right. But yeah, um, and that and that's. It was kind of neat because I watched the remainder of the movie. I watched the other half of the movie on the way into work today. Uh, got home. Suzanne wanted to watch from where we had left off on. And it was the – as she sat down, she's like, oh, well, you know, we got to find out, you know, what his what's his destiny? You know, what's he, what's he going to be doing? But at the same time, she's like, but that girl in the bubble is sticking in my head. Because she was in there. I mean, what what did you think about her? What was your What was your take on – and you know, you'd already watched the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I said nothing. I was just like, all right. Like, Shut up, woman. Just watch the movie. I'll be downstairs. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but no, what did, you, what did you think of... I mean, the ending, I think, paralleled the ending of the first one, of the, of the final cut. They leave, it ends. You know nothing. Well, I think it's pretty clear that Kay is dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but he's at peace, which is something that he had not had since the moment he starts to question his programming. Well, he he died for a cause. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he made the most human. He, he pulled a Roy Batty. Yeah. But once once Deckard is there and, and puts his hand on the glass, that could potentially signal the beginning of, you know, the what could be a confrontation between the replicants and the people trying to keep him down. Yeah. But we don't know. And this is this is my fear. You've got Blade Runner who was a genre defying movie. You've got twenty forty nine, which follows up, keeps the theme, keeps the pacing. It's it you could easily, if you want like I said, if you wanted to blow six hours of your life, watch one to the next without stopping. I did. And this you know, the oh, soundtrack. Yeah, I just thought here's a question for you guys. I just thought of this. Okay. What do you think the odds are that she actually does have some kind of uh, disease and has to be quarantined, or they just told her that so they could quarantine her? I think that's part of the plot, so no one gets close enough to her to figure out what she is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's not explicitly stated, but I also loved that they... So in the sequel, they're going to take her out of the pod, and that's what's going to you know open Pandora's <laughs> box. Possibly. Well, I, I like that they sidestep the question of whether Deckard's a replicant. Yep. Yeah, they don't even bring that up. You know, and and they kind of they kind of tipped a little bit to it when they ask about the dog. Is he real? Ask him. Right. Well, and Neander Wallace says lays out the two possibilities. It's like either you were engineered specifically to meet Rachel and fall in love with her and have a child, or you weren't engineered at all and it happened. Right. Uh, let me go back to my, my fear of uh, my fear of this becoming a trilogy. Oh, because you've got the rebellion. You've got everything that could possibly happen with the child becoming exposed to the world and the people discovering that replicants can reproduce. I don't want this to become an action flick. There's a, you don't want this to become the Matrix trilogy is what you don't want. Exactly. Exactly. You've got a great premise. You've got a great start Start with it with the first Blade Runner. You 2049 keeps up with it. Think about how good Blade Runner or uh, the first Matrix was, too. Yeah, that's exactly it. I don't and want this. all hyped for the sequel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't if want. We, we all saw it. We're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then we saw the third one, and we're like, yeah, don't make any more. Yeah, we get it. Neo's Jesus. Let's go move on. Um, and, 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 and everybody lives in a giant rave orgy. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want I don't want the next movie to be oh this battle between in the battle between humans and replicants. You know, <laughs> I don't want that. I want I want Blade Runner is sci-fi to think about. It's, it's intellectual not, sci-fi, exactly. Right. And it's also got to be that noir kind of detective story. And they've kind of painted themselves into the corner because they've said that the pl- eventual plan for the resistance is to have her rise up as their leader. So, like, if they're going to make another one, they kind of got to make the movie none of us wants to see. That's why I think they would be better served not making it, but if this made, if this movie made money, guess what? Yeah, and that's the thing is, even though that's not a movie I want to see, they make it, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, yeah, just like everybody watched Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. There's no way they can screw this up that bad twice. <laughs> oh wait <laughs> you just think um 
No, and I, I really... <laughs> Blade it... Runner 2065, directed by Tommy Wiseau. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you just made me... You made me pee a little. You're, you're tearing me apart, love! <laughs> no, she's dead, dude. I know. Well, so was oh, Rachel. Maybe she's not. I don't think they will. And but you know, you never know. Maybe what they would do is they would make a third part in the film series, but it'll be after the everything has ended, and it's what happens next after the battle between you know after the 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 rise up and the, the revolution occurs off screen. Right. The revolution has already happened, and it's already what happens televised. now? Right. <laughs> What's the next step? And yeah, that could I'd, be an interesting story. Yeah, maybe I'd, yeah. I'd feel better about it if it was that. Oh, how'd you guys feel about... We, we haven't re- really talked too much about Rachel or Sean Young, aside from the fact that we know that her character was the pregnant corpse that is the MacGuffin that kicks <laughs> everything off. Pregnant corpse. Their second album was awesome. <laughs> um, but we have the CGI uh, Sean Young... How'd you guys feel about that effect? I thought it was uh, better done than anything I'd seen up to this point. Well, yeah. it was more more in line with the aging down of like uh, um, Michael Douglas and Ant Man. Jeff Bridges, or, right? Didn't he age down too? Yeah, in Kurt um, yeah, Kurt Russell in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely handled much better than the Princess Leia aged down well cgi or peter cushing or right right it was definitely much better handled and it was a shorter screen time so that also lent itself well yeah but when when she first started walking up the stairs i I was like oh that's just mean yeah well i mean and that's that's part of the conversation that um wallace is having he's like you like to hurt you know well get ready yeah you know we're gonna i mean you know (laughs) We're going to bring back your dead lover and shoot her in front of you. Uh, yeah, so that's... I, You know, Deckard is just a, a tragic figure in this one. For sure. And Wallace is really interesting because he's got this uh, mix of, like, uh, cult Eastern yogi meets corporate tycoon... Like mm-hmm. he almost had a little bit of like late sixties Beatles meets Hare Krishna. It's uh, David Koresh. <laughs> that's a cocktail right there. It's Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If like Steve Jobs and the, David Koresh had a baby. <laughs> I mean, you've got the religious pseudo mystical stuff and you've got the uh, bleeding edge tech at the same time dude has a god complex pretty much literally oh yeah well here's an interesting i just pulled the trivia here it says a visual effects company worked for a full year on the scene where rachel appears exactly as she did 35 years ago in blade runner stand-in actress lauren pita acted out the scene and her appearance was changed to computer generated visual effects to resemble young rachel's voice was provided by a sound double Director Dennis Villanueva purposely limited the amount of Rachel's shots and gave the visual effects team ample time to work in order to avoid the criticism that the digitally recreated Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushing had <laughs> drawn. He said that the result was mesmerizing. And it's, it's funny that Sean, Sean Young has gone so far off the deep end that they're like, we're just going to spend a year making a, a carbon copy. 
Oh, wow. And I'm looking at uh, Lauren Pita in the Rachel makeup. They did not have that far to go. Uh, there's a real nice uh, picture of her in the makeup and hair with uh, like six or seven tracking dots. Mm. And then what they needed to do with the CGI. I'll post it in the chat. I've got it here. Nice. <clears throat> no, I I think it was well done. I think it was just done enough. And I think the the cinematography of it, when she's walking up the stairs, having her being silhouetted with light behind her. Rachel does not... You don't need to see... It's almost like uh, Jessica Rabbit. You know, if you see a silhouette of Jessica Rabbit, you're like, I know exactly who that is. In this movie, you see that silhouette of the hairdo and the and the proportions and all that walking up the stairs, and you're like, that's Rachel. They re- oh my god, that bastard remade Rachel. You know, it's you know finding the. I mean, and that's the other thing about uh, Wallace is he discovers the best way to twist a knife in Deckard's side. You know, there is well, no. Mean, th- that's that. That's what he said. He's like, you you don't know. You don't know. You think you know hurt, but you don't know. Yeah, right. Because there's nothing he wouldn't do to extend his reach to the point where he doesn't have to make the replicants anymore. They make themselves, and all of a sudden, his children take over every inhabitable rock in the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, would, what would he not sacrifice for that? And that makes him worse than Tyrell from the first one, though. In the first one, Tyrell is. Roy Beatty's God, but he's detached. Where in this one, Wallace is a hundred percent in, ready to do anything to make sure that the replicants, I don't say survive, but overcome. Yeah, and I think that uh, Neander Wallace can probably foresee a world where replicants have moved beyond needing humanity. And he just wants to be the architect of that, whether he's human or a replicant himself almost doesn't matter again. All right. Here's a question for you. Do you think Roy would have, uh, would have killed Wallace if he might have, do you think he would have passed his test? Interesting question. My knee jerk is that Wallace would have actually passed Roy's test. My terror is that Wallace and Roy after that, Yeah, if if they get through that and team up. (laughs) Yeah, if they don't kill each other, we're all screwed. (laughs) Huh. I I think Wallace would have passed Roy's test because he would he would have there would have been no forgiveness. There would have been accolades for what you did to keep the replicants alive. Yeah, that's the thing is I think that Neander Wallace would have given him absolution. Yeah. Or, I don't know, this is just me bullshitting now. Uh-oh. It's always been. Some, a replicant in the past did do the same thing, and he failed. And that's how he lost his eyes, but love intervened and killed that replicant before he could finish the job of killing Wallace. Uh, I think the timeline is pretty explicit that love didn't exist until Wallace was had been around for some time. Yeah. I mean, that was just me spitballing there. Yeah. No, cool idea, though. Yeah. 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 And you've got a bunch of other uh, characters, some named, some not, that uh, it's interesting that you've got that one replicant that has her right eye dug out. Yeah. I'm almost surprised that they all didn't have. There's a lot of eye symbology in in this whole franchise. Yeah. Real quick, what'd you think of Mr. Cotton? 
the the guy running the orphanage. Oh yeah, that guy was that guy was not a good guy. <laughs> not a nice man. No, right. But knew when his time was up. I when he when he opens the book and that whole year is torn out and he's like, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't me. Please I don't go. Kill. Here's the the keys to the car. See I'm, you later. I'm gonna leave. So that was almost certainly part of the uh, conspiracy. Sapper Morton, etc., who somehow got in there and ripped that year out. Mm-hmm. Or it, it could that, have been Deckard. And that's one of those things that really doesn't need to be explained as to who did it. You know, that some movies always feel like they need to tie up all loose ends. Right. We yeah. didn't need to know who did that. It just needed to know it was done. Yeah. Yeah, you can infer that it was part of the plan. And that's and that again falls back a little bit on my on my fear of the trilogy. There's so much of these movies that if you need to pay attention to it, you need to pay attention to what's going on. But at the same time, who ripped the ripped the pages out of the book? Who cares? We know that their their tracks were being hidden. It happened. I I don't want a spoon fed, you know. I you don't, don't, you don't. You don't want the Blade Runner equivalent of midi chlorians. Right. Yes, yes, that you is. I don't like you, Deckard. I definitely don't want the Blade Runner version of that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, and this, and these, this movie, I mean, is I hate to say it, the, the Blade Runner series is like dear to my heart. It is one of the movies that I saw and just made me fall in love with the. Uh, it, after after watching this, it got me to read Philip K. Dick, and then Philip K. Dick led to Neuromancer. Neuromancer led to the Stainless Steel Rat. You know, it's all and you know, it, that got you into Cyberpunk, which got you into Shadowrun. Which exactly, you. which made me meet yeah. you guys. You know, I mean, so if if I hadn't watched Blade Runner, I wouldn't even know you guys. If you want to go that far, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's I I I was nervous watching. 2049 because i didn't want to see it something so close to me get bastardized but i'm extremely happy with what they did with it and that set that they had had harrison ford in with the the dock and the water all around him where when he you know when he met rachel that was just that was the set that kind of i was like wow that's really, really cool you know in general, the set design, like uh, the giant over-sexualized statues that are in the sands yeah. ripped up in uh, the ruins of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you contrast that with the building tall naked advertisements for joy back in the city. Like, I could see a clear parallel between the Vegas statues and that ad. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering, how long is it going to be before we get to where we have, like, giant billboard side naked ladies talking to us on the side of the street because can we get to that point already <laughs> next, next year, year dude. maybe because please <laughs> it's right. coming All and right. so are the billboards so uh we got anything i mean i know we could probably talk all night about this we shall we do a thumbs up thumbs down on these yeah i, I think, think it's fairly we'll obvious we're one of the rare eight thumbs up I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I, even though I had my few problems with 2049, I loved it. And I'm disappointed in uh, America <laughs> that it didn't do better than it did. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, I big thumbs up on both. But yeah. Perhaps that'll be the saving grace that keeps us from a, a all out war third film. That's true. 
maybe yeah maybe this not being as popular as it should have been in our heads will keep us from getting that but uh yeah i think this is another rare uh eight thumbs up yeah so joel what are we doing next week we're playing a harmonica with yeah (laughs) flatliners yes what goes on after you die and how can we you know turn it into some sort of weird competition (laughs) yeah if you uh want to give us your thoughts on blade runner maybe you have very strong opinions on whether or not uh deckard is a replicant and it matters damn it you want (laughs) to tell us about them you can give us a call at the 708 now wrap that's 708-669-9727 yep and again if you're looking for our older stuff we are on itunes blueberry stitcher talk shoe podverse fm and any other place that you find podcasts uh yeah, so next week, uh, hook up the EKG, and uh, we'll bring you back after 30 seconds. Roy shop first. So I call... Nobody, with... Nobody's hosting brunches and shit. Yeah, so... A brunchin? A brunchin? <laughs> I'm a brunchin. Mm, I could go for some brunchin. Charles Brunchin. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. It just seemed like with a pistol. Oh, do you want a mimosa? <laughs> Charles Brunson. God Mimosas damn it. or die. Now you use up your funny bit, funniness, Joel. What's going to happen with the rest have, of the show? You guys have never even seen a Charles Brunchin movie. <laughs> I have. He looks like an eclair. <laughs> what? With a mustache. <laughs> <laughs>